Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is November the 29th, 2019. Strong hand, long-term thinking. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin unconfiscatable conviction. All right, value your wealth in Bitcoin, people. Uh, I'm offended by selling. Yeah, we are live with This Week in Bitcoin. I figured out a way to get this live again. We were supposed to have three guests. Maybe Ken Bozak will be entering the room uh, soon enough. But we got Vlad from Bitcoin Magazine. And we got Boris from Game Kings here. And they are legendary Europeans here on this Black Friday. While all you Americans are shopping, we are talking Bitcoin. Europe isn't sleeping. Bitcoin doesn't sleep. It doesn't It doesn't do Thanksgiving. Uh, so we'll, welcome to the show, Boris. We will we will start out with you. Um, last night on my regular one Bitcoin show, a, a friend of mine in in Germany informed me of the the following, and that is that the Bundestag, the Parliament there, just passed legislation that allows banks in Germany to trade cryptos and store them starting January first. Now this news is slowly trickling out. Uh, because all the Americans are asleep and aren't writing articles about it yet. But it, it's getting out there on crypto Twitter. And we're all starting to think about well, how, how big is this? If regular people in Germany are going to be able to go to banks and buy Bitcoin now? Is, is this what? And uh, my my friend in Germany, again, says it's it's basically passed. This is basically a done deal. So, Boris, you're, you're in Europe. What do, you, what do you think about this? Yes, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. Um, not just because um, uh, Germany, traditionally speaking, is, is a it's a really conservative country, especially when it comes to banking and when it comes to the way they handle uh, currency and the way they look uh, look at crypto. Um, they were not like the front runners of this innovation. Um, and most of the rules in Europe are uh, they come from Brussels. It's it's the European Union who decides uh, basically everything. Uh, so the fact that uh, German banks are allowed to do this, this is, it is really insane. It's really big news. Yeah, uh, I, I, it, it came as a shock to me, and it's hard, <laughs> it's, it's hard to believe it's, it's actually happening. Now, I mean, uh, one would think eventually some countries out there would slowly allow their banks to do this. Uh, do what you, you mentioned to me in the, uh, the DMs we were sending to each other that you think that. This, this might be bad for smaller Bitcoin dealers or that this might be... Tell me what you were thinking there. Well, the situation in Europe is, is really complicated. So we get this... Um, and w when I say we, I, I, I have, I'm in contact with a lot of Dutch entrepreneurs who have Bitcoin businesses. I think in Holland, there's... Um, uh, it's, it's one of the most crowded marketplaces when it comes to uh, companies selling bitcoins to uh, to, to people. Um, the, and uh, we recently had this AMLD5 directive coming from uh, Europe, from Brussels. Uh, and basically, that's the, that's the anti-money laundering uh, directive, and it's the fifth version of it. And it um, requires bitcoin companies uh, to do extensive research on the people they sell Bitcoin to. And it goes really far. It means that if you want to sell, you you have a company and you want to sell somebody some Bitcoin, like, in, I mean, like what, uh, um, what's the name of the app? The, um, 
uh, Cash App, uh, stuff like that, or what Coinbase does. If you want to do that in Holland, it, it means that from uh, starting January 16th, I believe, um, you need to know uh, what um, Bitcoin addresses uh, uh, the transactions go to, who those addresses belong to, uh, and you have to do research where the uh, uh, where the euros come from, where the money comes, the fiat money comes from that actually pays for the Bitcoin, um, and that's pretty strict rules that's just as strict as the rules that banking uh, the banking sector has to comply with um, but you have to understand these companies in the Netherlands they consist of two three four people maybe those are small uh, companies the banking sector in the whole of Holland uh, employs over 8,000 people doing nothing else than uh, checking the background of people uh, of the of their own customers so um, what we have is this regulation coming up that basically uh, kills all these small uh, Bitcoin businesses because they have to comply to laws that they cannot afford. And on the other hand, we have this. We have this in Germany where you see that ba the banking sector is moving into crypto, moving into Bitcoin, uh, uh, while at the same time making it impossible for small uh, uh, Bitcoin companies to compete or even uh, do a startup and this is a uh, it's it's worrying uh, on the one hand i'm happy that uh, uh, bitcoin is uh, like being accepted or handled or even uh, get, getting some custody services from from large uh, financial institutions on the other hand the real innovation it doesn't come from the banking sector it comes from the entrepreneurs and the small bitcoin companies and this is uh, um yeah this is this, we're going to see some struggle going on over there. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's it's interesting. Yes, uh, it, it definitely. I, I, you, I, I'm glad for me when I first heard, I was like, "Oh, this is great!" But then when you think about it, uh, you, you, you like like you just said, it. Of course, uh, banks are the only ones that have the manpower to enforce all the uh, the KYC type of stuff. So it, it, we we shall see uh, how it progresses. Uh, Vlad, your your thoughts on this. I'm not really sure if it's good news, even though when I think back, Helfini spoke about Bitcoin banks in 2010 or something on Bitcoin Talk. So it makes sense as the economy progresses and Bitcoin becomes a household name for banks to embrace it and to want to hold it for you. But it's definitely against the cypherpunk ethos of holding your own keys and being financially sovereign. The point of it was never to allow banks, as in the old financial system, take over and allow these financial actors to hold your Bitcoins. I don't think that's the point of this journey. It might be good news for adoption as normies who otherwise wouldn't care much about holding their own Bitcoins in a hardware wallet or some kind of cold storage will just embrace the idea that <clears throat> they can do it via banks and they trust banks for whatever reason, because of course they are the trusted actors who are in a good relation with the state. But also with Germany, we have to look back to history and realize that Germany is not allowed to have an army since World War II. And there was always this Germanic attitude to become the leaders of Europe to some extent. And they are a nation which is still limited by the United States and United Nations to not have some facilities. And that's why it makes a lot of sense to want to progress and become a pioneer in a direction that others are not willing to pursue. 
Yeah, well, they, they're taking the lead on this, and they are, you're, you're right, instead of having a standing army, they're the financial dominant, uh, they're the financial dominance in, in Europe. I mean, they can financially, they control Europe. I mean, they control the euro, it, it seems like. So they're taking the first step with this. So uh, interesting uh, opinions here from uh, two guys in Europe. Uh, everybody, if you've got questions in the chat, you can type in Bitcoin Meister, you can do a super chat. We will uh, answer them. I'm, we, it's uh, pound that like button if you're happy that we're live again. Uh, uh, Boris, before we move on to uh, Vlad's article, do you have anything else to say about this uh, this big yeah. story? Yeah, absolutely. What What's really interesting is the gameplay um, uh, theory that, that sort of comes to play. Like, if we look at the future and and the role that Bitcoin is going to play in a in a financial um, in a financial world, um, right now uh, the banks are on a lot of pressure. I mean, they are losing their uh, their income, their revenue models. Uh, uh, negative interest rates are um, supposedly killing uh, lots of large banks, especially Deutsche Bank is really hurting. Um, they're not doing very well. Um, what we also see is there's a lot of uh, money laundering issues. So uh, uh, l very large banks uh, in the Netherlands, this happens, but also in, in the Nordics, uh, there's a lot of money coming from uh, Russian or the former Russian republics. Um, and it's supposedly money laundered or, or whatever. It's, this is in the billions of euros. And uh, um, uh, banks get these fines, these two, three, four hundred million fines a year. We've seen a couple of examples this year already. And what 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 happens is that they are um, uh, they are uh, more likely to uh, crack down on their own customers uh, to make sure that that there is uh, compliance when it comes to all these KYC rules. Um, and what this means for Bitcoin is really interesting because. I can imagine that most of these bankers are paranoid about crypto and Bitcoin in, in particular. Um, they still have this association with money laundering or dark markets or whatever, all this old school uh, stuff. Um, and it's, it's even possible that they will allow people to buy Bitcoin, but they won't give you your Bitcoin. They will allow you to have it on some some form of an account, but they will not allow you to transfer it out, outside of their custody. Um, and if you think about this, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, these banks are terrified of these huge uh, uh, um, fines they were uh, handed out by the regulators. Um, so how are they going to handle this? Uh, they, they definitely won't take any risk. And what's going to happen if that, and I, I have this feeling for some time now that we'll see this, divi this division. Newcomers into Bitcoin will stick to the um, uh, yeah to the sort of regulatory safe side of the issue. They will uh, maybe buy some Bitcoin at Deutsche Bank or or, or another financial institution. I know uh, Bayern Landesbank is uh, is a bank that's really moving into this direction. They might trade some there, but they won't be won't be able to get their funds in Bitcoin out of that system. On the other hand, you have the more tech-savvy people, uh, uh, the millennials who are uh, who already have some experience using Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin, moving it around, uh, doing coin joints, stuff like that. Um, and we'll see this division about uh, between the Bitcoin that's held by these large financial institutions that are basically never moving out of these institutions and the Bitcoin that's being held by people. And um, the, 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 the second group, I mean, all these, these people that already have Bitcoin, I'm, I wonder if they realize that we, we might move into a future where it won't be so obvious that when you have Bitcoin that you actually 
own it. I mean, your keys, not your keys, not your coins, that idea. We're moving into a future where Bitcoin, your Bitcoin, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not your keys, so it's not your coins, but your Bitcoin is going to be stored on some server at some uh, big financial institution. And if you want to get it out of there, you're moving into a whole different territory. Um, uh, and that might be problematic. I mean, I'm sort of thinking out loud, but I, I can see some problems arising here. Well, we got to keep speaking the truth that you got to put it on your Trezor. You got to put it on your storage device. But these banks are going to make it really easy and tempting to be, as Vlad said, I mean, the the prediction that there were going to be Bitcoin banks. Yeah, it, it's been around for a while. It's not the way it's all about controlling your own money. It's it's, it's not. But, hey, they are, they're evolving they're not just going to shut down and say, hey, we're not touching this. They're, they're going to take advantage of the people that, that don't understand this. Uh, you, you bring up Deutsche Bank. There's so many rumors about Deutsche Bank. I wonder if this will help save Deutsche Bank's butt if they get into this uh, now. Okay, Vlad, any, any commentary on, on uh, what uh, Boris said? I don't think I have commentary on what he said, but I would love to read the legislative draft to be sure what kind of implications this has and whether or not when you deposit in a German bank, you can also do something like exchange for Euro because that's going to be an interesting feature. If you deposit, let's say one Bitcoin today at the price of $7,000, I guess it's a bit more, but I haven't checked today and you get it back two years later, are you allowed to get the gains in terms of Euro? That's a good question, and that's something that we should think about. I mean, they're pretty interesting competitors to the exchanges that we already have because they have a lot more liquidity, and they are able, I think Deutsche Bank, if they want, and with the capital that they're running every day, they can buy most of the Bitcoin supply, which is frightening if you think about it. But it's the ugly truth that Bitcoin is still low liquidity at this point. And Wait, you, bank step in. You you're saying that Deutsche Bank has enough money to buy all the Bitcoin in the world? I didn't say all the Bitcoin, okay, okay, a, okay. a lot of it. They they can manipulate the prices. They can do a lot of ugly stuff, which at the end of the day is legitimate because it, this is an unregulated market worldwide. There is nobody who can control how much you can buy and how much you can sell. And for every regulated country like the United States where every transaction for fiat is highly secured by some kind of watchdog institution and there is no way to use a service without doing KYC, there is some sort of Bitfinex or some other exchange that allows you to go on without KYC. So it doesn't matter who you are. And I suppose the banks have enough money to do all the research that they need to figure out how they can launder, how they can move around large amounts of money without getting caught. And Deutsche Bank has a bad record. I think <laughs> it was this year that they received a record fine for some kind of money laundering. And I suspect that lots of you know drug cartels and high-class criminals are using their services. So I don't think they are very righteous and entitled to get into the Bitcoin space, but that's not something we can control it's all permissionless and if they want to they can do it yeah they, they they'll be play some people aren't gonna like it at all because yeah deutsche bank is one of those uh 
on the enemy list of, of some people. People love to mention it as, as one of the biggest uh, criminal banksters out there. Eh, let, let, let's see if they can compete in this space or not. I'm not I'm not too concerned about them. All right, Boris, any any final words on this? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah please. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. This is if you're looking if you're only looking at price, this is going to be insane. I mean, we've been talking about financial institutions moving into Bitcoin for years, uh, and everybody. I mean, people were saying like, "Oh yeah, the herd is coming. The herd is coming." This is what it actually looks like when the herd is coming, and it might not be all good. It's going to be good for price. I'm, I have no doubt. I mean, you, the Bitcoin market is not very uh, liquid. And when you have these kind of corporations moving in, and I'm sure they're already doing something. I mean, there's there's lots of rumors. There's lots of OTC rumors going on. Uh, but when this is really uh, taking off, uh, we're going to see this incredible uh, battle going on for the um, yeah for the for the remaining coins for the last two million remaining coins. And I don't know. I don't know about all the hodlers. I I'm I, I have my doubts whether uh, Deutsche Bank can actually buy a large portion of Bitcoin because they have to. They have all this competition worldwide from other large financial institutions. And to be honest, I think the people that are hodlers that are already have their coins in their own possession, when they see the price going up, um, like it will when this is taking off, um, I wonder if they will sell because it's also says something about the value of the dollar and the euro and other fiat currencies that are, I mean, they're going to have to print the money to buy all this stuff. Um, we, we, we're on the, on the brink of the next big recession and it means like quantitative easing until infinity. And that money is going to go somewhere. It's going to go to stocks, it's going to go to real estate and it might go to Bitcoin. And when that happens, uh, it's going to be insane. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Yeah, well, we will we will look back on this. Um, let, let's. I, I am interested to see how this whole German thing develops. Uh, who else is going to pick up the story? Finally, CoinDesk did. I guess they they finished their Thanksgiving meal and they 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 covered this story. But I I think it's just I think it's a tremendous story. I think it's huge. And uh, yeah, if you're in Germany and you're just finding out about Bitcoin, no, you you don't store it at a bank. You control it yourself. But Hey, they're not listening to me right now. There's there's going to be all sorts of German Bitcoin accounts out there. I, I hope there are because it, it'll help. It'll boost the price. People have to learn the hard way uh, once the, uh, the German banks shut down their uh, Bitcoin. You see, th that'll be interesting. If some of these uh, if some of these banks start to go bankrupt, they can just confiscate their uh, people's uh, Bitcoin funds, and they'll be totally fine. <laughs> that will happen absolutely. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's it it'll really save some of these banks. It'll allow them to, to be, uh, to even be more corrupt in terms of, uh, you know, saying what they, uh, what's it called? Uh, fractional reserve type of stuff it, uh, to take it to a whole new level. But anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about the banks because I'm not dealing with the banks. I'm dealing with Bitcoin in the way it should be dealt with storing it here. So pound that like button. All right. We'll go to Vlad now with your article that you just wrote about, uh, well, something I've talked about a lot on this uh, because I'm a, I'm a YouTuber and I see YouTubers all the time getting complaining that they this video gets demonetized. Uh, that video gets they don't understand why they can't earn money on it. They're earning such, you know, a lot less money. I've always said just simply put a Bitcoin address underneath your video. Uh, for me, that's step one. But you wrote a whole article that's like involving Lightning Network and Talk about what you, what your suggestions were. All right. So the idea came from my editor, Christy, who told me that right now, Kappa, which is the child online 
whatever protection act yeah. is going to demonetize a lot of YouTube content that appeals or may appeal to children. So anything that may be interesting or watchable for children younger than 13 is not going to be able to be monetized anymore, which is insane as some content creators that may do animation or they may do something that is not necessarily childish, but appeals to wider audiences, they'll have to add swear words or something just to be able to say, no, children should not watch this and I can monetize my content. But if they want to keep the quality and the ethos of their content, then they're going to have some kind of alternative to their monetization process. And I guess the most popular way for YouTubers to monetize content is to go on Patreon. And Patreon charges, I think, $1 fees for $1 donations. So that's not really sustainable. That's not very nice in terms of making money. Plus, from Patreon, you have to go on PayPal. And when you transfer from Patreon to PayPal, you have a fee. And when you convert to your national currency in PayPal, or you just withdraw dollars, you still have some kind of fee. So you lose a lot of money in the process. And it's not the most efficient. Now, your proposal is to just include a Bitcoin address, but in order to be able to manage that, you need to understand how Bitcoin works. And that's what the problem is, and that's how I came to the idea that it's just easier to use a custodial service for Lightning, like Bottle Pay, and it's just like the interface of your banking service. That's why it's so powerful, and that's why it can onboard a lot of people. Plus, if you do on-chain operations, you're going to be frustrated by the lack of confirmations when you expect them. And you need to understand how Bitcoin works. You need to learn how to look at the mempool. You need to learn how to set fees, which maybe to newbies is not very convenient, and they're going to say, no, this is intimidating, it's too much. But Lightning, we still have very low fees. It's instant. And when you gather a large amount of Satoshis, you can just go on some sort of exchange and trade your Lightning BTC or main base layer Satoshis. And from there, you can just go on some sort of exchange and get fiat currencies. I mean, it's not very complicated. And I try to explain it step by step with the simplest solutions that you find nowadays. And the only difficult part, from my point of view, is that right now there is no large exchange which allows you to trade your Lightning Satoshis for fiat. It's just that maybe they perceive Lightning as still being reckless, even though it has been around for a long time, and businesses like BitRefill allow you to buy gift cards with it. And that's one of the recommendations that I make because in the United States, you can buy pretty much gift card. You can buy gift cards for pretty much anything from Starbucks to PlayStation Network or whatever. So yeah, it's a good idea to try something like Bottle Pay. It has the kind of browser extension which allows you to send instant payments. So you get a button just below the subscribe button on YouTube and you click that one and you choose the amount and it deducts that amount of Satoshis from your account and sends it to the YouTuber to whom you want to send that tip. It's very convenient. 
and it's a point-and-click experience for which you don't have to really understand how Bitcoin works. And from that second layer of Bitcoin, you can just do a backwards learning session and fall down the rabbit hole and understand why you should be the custodian of your own private keys, why you should use a hardware wallet, why you should be cautious about your UTXOs and not reveal your financial privacy. And by the way, that's not a concern that you should be having with Lightning because it's much more private, it's scalable, it's fast. So now I guess I answered your question about why it's a better idea than to just include a Bitcoin address. All right. Yeah, it, it, you, you elaborated uh, definitely on that one. Now, with, with, with bottle pay, can people do that over Twitter too? Like I, I, I've been known, I, I haven't tried out bottle pay yet. Uh, with, oh, over Twitter, people keep leaving me something. Some I thought it was bottle pay. Does that have anything to do with Twitter also? Uh, yeah, so yeah. If you go on the website, you can see that they have integrations. And now I feel like I'm chilling their product. I'm not some kind of PR for bottle paid, but it's just very nice. And they have one, the Baltaton, which is a Lightning Network competition, a hacking marathon. And they allow integrations with lots of social media platforms. So right now, I just click add account, and they have GitHub, they have Instagram, Mixcloud, Reddit, Stack Overflow, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. And this is huge because you can send small payments across all of these platforms. Even on GitHub, you see a developer and you say, oh, I like your project. How about I send you some Satoshis? All right, Boris, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's, um, uh, I agree with uh, with Vlad, absolutely. I mean, the tipping, um, the tipping industry is about to take off, I'm, I'm sure. But what's really going on with COPPA uh, in regards to uh, to YouTube, it's really about something else. I mean, the, um, I, I've, I've really dived into this because there's a lot of game content creators who are affected by this. Um, if you have an adult show, and I'm not saying that, I mean, it's there's any swearing or whatever going on, just a show not made for kids, but if it's about video games, um, YouTube will automatically classify it as content for kids, uh, which means that it will be demonetized. And it means that you won't have any targeted advertising around your video. And especially for US uh, or, uh, or English language videos, this is a big deal. Um, there's there's game content creators that have channels that have millions and millions of views, millions of views per video. Um, and that's a lot of money. That's not something that you will um, uh, replace by uh, people sending you tips. Um, that's something that's on, of a complete different level. And that's why everybody is, um, is panicking. Um, what's interesting about it is that um, YouTube says that the FTC um, uh, made them uh, 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 enforce these rules. And that's just not true. True. There's a I, I'm, uh, his name escaped me, but there's a lawyer on YouTube who, who, who sort of dived into this, and he found out that actually the FTC allows for a, a third option. Uh, so r right now YouTube will uh, classify any content as, as aimed at children when it has video games, when it has like colorful content, YouTube stars, uh, some music, some happy stuff. That's all kids content in their eyes, even if it's not, even if it's obviously not. And the FTC has this third category where it says like, okay, you can have content that might be something that kids watch, but it's not meant for kids. And YouTube just killed that. 
And that's interesting. So actually, uh, YouTube's uh, rules are way stricter than what FTC uh, tells them to enforce. Um, and this is fascinating because it it sort of brings us back to this to the to the core of this problem and that's that youtube is hugely centralized youtube can do whatever it like whatever you whatever they like if you are a content creator you the moment your content is uploaded to youtube it's not your content anymore you, you <laughs> i mean i'm i'm sure that that 99.9% of content creators don't realize that their content is not in their possession anymore the moment it goes to youtube um and this is one of the big problems and you can use other centralized uh, platforms when it comes to payments you can use uh, uh, like all the examples that flat mentioned but they come with the same problems um, uh, i mean uh, bottle pay being the exception but um, we've seen all these content creators being demonetized by paypal or by um, by patreon for instance uh, and it's all the same problem it's centralized organizations uh, sort of judging on content and also judging on the content that made their platforms big um, this is a problem, and the 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 interesting part of it. Because I, I did a, a, a we did a talk show about this. Um, what you would expect is that people would come up with another YouTube, but they would come up with the same problem again. And there are these decentralized alternatives to YouTube, but nobody's using them. And that's I found it fascinating because it's just like with Bitcoin, all the altcoins. You can copy the technology, but you cannot copy the network effect. You cannot copy YouTube's network effect. Everybody's on YouTube, so there's just no. It makes no sense to move to another platform. Um, and this is basically this is the core of the problem. And yeah, the way to um, uh, to solve this, I don't know. We we need to look at internet. Uh, in a different way we need to go back to the time where everybody had their own homepage. you know <laughs> build their own website put their content on our own website if i want to see uh, your videos adam i have to go to adammeister.com or whatever watch your videos there and then it doesn't matter uh, if they're hosted on youtube or on vimeo or, or wherever it does it does it really doesn't matter but 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 what's happening in the us and especially the the, the, the california companies um it's 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 a huge problem i mean we have these decentralized uh, uh politically active platforms that are uh, uh deciding whether or not uh, some content is suitable for monetization or actually suitable for existing and that's um uh, yeah that's something that we need to we need to get away from really really quickly Hey, I do like you bringing up the network effect of YouTube and comparing it to Bitcoin. Nice, nice way to tie it back in there. I like that a lot. And thank both of you guys. Thank you for informing most people in big, the Bitcoin crypto community don't know about this kid stuff that's going on with YouTube now, how they're, they, they just crack down on this. Uh, now, when I make a video, I have to check off stuff that are it's automatically checked for me that no kids appear in this video or it's. It's it's for adults. They 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 changed it up recently, and this is again both both guys have spoken on, on what the effect is on on certain content creators. We again in, in the crypto uh, Bitcoin community, uh, we don't really deal with kids very much, so we we haven't seen this, but uh, it, it's definitely uh, affecting a lot of people producing stuff. And yeah, it, the network effect has made us all stick with YouTube. So, and, and for the foreseeable future, it looks like that's that's the way things are going to be. Uh, Vlad, anything to add to this? I'm not sure because Boris has done such a great job. I don't think I have anything else to add other than 
I think the Lightning Network is a lot more private. And when you post a Bitcoin address in your description, it's easily viewable on a block explorer, blockchain explorer. So anyone can see how, how much Bitcoin you have and what kind of transactions you have done, which is a terrible idea. And if you use the Lightning Network, then it already generates single-use invoices, and that's very good. And it gets routed throughout the network, so you're not going to be able to tell which amount went where. There is no way to have this overview over the network, at least not yet. And when you onboard the main chain, I mean, that's the moment when I guess you have to say, I have this much Bitcoin if I sell for fiat. But you can maintain your financial privacy for a long time with Lightning. And that's something I appreciate about it. And if I were to receive payments for Lightning, I would just hold on to the Satoshis until I was able to exchange for USDT or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, well, good. You, you are definitely concerned with the privacy aspect of earning funds through, uh, through content creation. Some of these dudes are so desperate uh, to get their content, to get their money flowing again. They're, they're not going to. They're not going to care that much about, but they, I mean, they should, people should, I mean, you've given the, the, the best practices the, uh, in, in your article, uh, some, some very solid ideas there. So it's linked to below it, people. It's the simplest, not the best, because okay. if it was the best, I would tell them to run their own node, to watch out and use a VPN service and route their node through Tor and stuff like that. But I just use the custodial service, which by the way, can also be shut down and censored and have the same issues that paypal has for example because it's basically just a huge bank which at this point is way too small to have this type of issues and it hasn't received any kind of pressure from regulators but it's a great way to onboard people and from there they can figure out how to become truly sovereign yes well let's 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 see how many people go that far down the path. Uh, we, we shall see. Hey, both these dudes are linked to below, including Vlad's article is also below. So you can follow them on Twitter, of course. So we're talking about Lightning Network here. Uh, and, and you know, uh, Boris, you said, uh, you, you informed me, or I kind of heard about this, this Donner Labs. They have a game called uh, Bounty Hunt. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell us about this. Your video is going to be demonetized now because we're going to be talking about games. It's kids' content now. That's the way YouTube is going to work. <laughs> this is not kids' stuff, dude. This is not kids. <laughs> Pound that like button. This is not kids' stuff. All right. But um, anyway, yeah, these these guys are really cool. They they are from Germany. They are an uh, they were they are Lightning developers, and they they also have a small game studio, and they came up with this concept. And I mean, let's 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 be fair. Uh, Lightning Network, when it comes to video games, we're we're still in a conceptual phase. Uh, it's very very difficult to explain uh, Bitcoin to people who are not Bitcoiners, let alone Lightning Network to people who are not Bitcoiners. Um, but it doesn't matter. We need examples. And these guys have built an example. And what's really, really good at it, uh, about it, um, first off, they build a first-person shooter, which means that, that you run around with a gun and you shoot other people, which is a very popular genre. Um, but what's interesting is that they have these cubes floating around in a level. Um, they've released a small trailer and I think you can sign up for the beta and you can, you can check it out for yourselves, but they, um, these cubes, um, they might display a logo or some form of message. And what they've done is that, um, 
if you are a spectator to one of these matches, you can actually buy the content of those cubes. So, Adam, say, for instance, you're watching a, a match um, and you really like what's going on, uh, you could place uh, uh, or you could spend a thousand satoshis and buy a couple of these cubes with the logo of the uh, of the bitcoin meister for instance and and promote your website now when i as a player i, I run into this uh, this cube i can i can grab it and i will get a small portion of those thousand uh, satoshis and um, what happens then is when uh, somebody uh, kills me in the game, somebody shoots me and kills me, he will take some of my Satoshis. Every kill makes you lose some Satoshis. And the other way around, same thing. If I shoot someone, kill someone, I will take some of their Satoshis. So um, this idea um, that you play this video game and you have this wager component where you actually play for Satoshis, that's not that's not necessarily very new what's really new about this is that they allow spectators to uh, add money to this game that's going on so you can imagine that it's going to be maybe in the future it, it's there's going to be these automated bots that will buy ads for large companies but you will also have this um if, if we go back to the tipping uh, thing that, that that vlad mentioned like bottle pay uh, people like to uh, tip when they are to get involved in the content. I mean, giving money to someone who's doing something, and you see this at Twitch, when when people are playing games, they're live streaming these games, and uh, the viewers are tipping money. Um, and the reason they do that is because that makes them more uh, important in, in that community that watches that stream at that moment. Well, you have the same thing when people watch a video game being played in game, and when something, uh, when it's really exciting, what makes it more exciting? Adding more money to this game. So you will have this this effect of viewers like bidding up the excitement of the game that's being played. And the people who are good will, will acquire more of those Satoshis uh, and they will fight for it. And that's, I don't know, I really like that. That's I've never seen something like that. I think it's really innovative. And they have um, they've really come up with a way that solves the problem that people don't want to spend their Bitcoin. They just want to earn Bitcoin. Uh, but I think most people don't have a problem spending someone else's Bitcoin. And that's why uh, this is interesting because uh, uh, there's a third party involved that might have another incentive to actually spend Bitcoin. Wow. This is, hey, I love that gaming and Bitcoin and Lightning, it's all getting combined here. It was predictable and let them innovate. I, I love it. And uh, yeah, again, I, I'm not one to spend my Bitcoin or anything like that, but who, who am I to judge if people want to spend little teeny Lightning network amounts of it and et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm glad this option is out there. I, I wish these guys good luck. And uh, they an article about them is is linked to below. I think I've talked about them on my, my show before. There's so much news that comes my way and with the gaming and the lightning network and all this, it all gets mishmashed in my head. Uh, uh, Vlad, did you, I don't know if you've heard about this before. Did you have any thoughts? Actually, I think two days ago or three days ago, they had their beta test in Europe and I got an in invitation with a link to join them, but I was not able to because I don't have a Steam account because I'm not such a hardcore gamer to have a Steam account. So if I figure out next time, I think in two weeks or something, how to get that done, I can actually get on one of their games, one of their testing games, to see how it works and maybe write about it on Bitcoin Magazine. Oh. I like the concept. I like how 
video games, which is a billion dollar industry, which is huge and is getting very popular among young children. And I can look right now, if I go on dating apps and I see girls that are 18 or something, they are very likely to be into video games, which was not the case when I was in high school. I think gaming is a phenomenon which has grown exponentially across young people. And even old people with the Wii and stuff like that. I mean, that was a gateway drug to get them to care about new launches. But I'm very much concerned about the fact that regulators and authorities might shut them down and say that this is gambling. And it has, it has happened to video game studios, like very big ones, Electronic Arts and Ubisoft and stuff. And they had issues with the fact that they were selling loot boxes. And these loot boxes are basically items that you buy in-game and they can give you anything from a nice vest for your character to a fancy new shotgun that you can use during your games. You still hear me because I got it. Yeah, it got better. It actually just got better there. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know where you draw the line. I can see why this can be called gambling because you put in some money and then you might lose some or you can win some depending on your skill. And if you draw the line and say that your skill or your internet connection or your computer configuration which also matters in your overall performance influences the way you perform then they can easily just say oh this is gambling and we're gonna shut you down or there's going to be some kind of mandatory kyc to make sure that no children sign up to this video game this is just the only part that makes me feel worried yeah uh, i i can see the gambling thing uh real easily how about you bars yeah, no, absolutely. The gambling, uh, the, the gambling argument is actually why Electronic Arts and Ubisoft and all these big companies will never ever touch this uh, uh, this kind of content. But that's the that's for me that's the interesting part of it, because there's a there's a really large uh, indie development community, like independent game designers that want to make creative stuff and don't want to be part of uh, EA or their their design philosophy or their business models. And they want to make their own stuff. And the problem is they don't have a way to um, to gain traction. They don't have a way to uh, reach a large audience. Or actually, they don't have a good way to monetize their video games. I mean, they go to Steam, but how are you going to find them? And the interesting part about this is is that it's um, uh, it allows the, the the indie developers an, an innovative way innovative way to actually uh, make some money from their video games. It does mean that, I mean, this is the gambling without a doubt. I mean, in uh, I've, I've, I've done some research into what these gambling, how these gambling laws actually work. Basically, uh, where I live, you're not allowed to uh, hold a chess tournament and pay the winner 50 bucks. Uh, that's considered gambling. And I would say like, okay, playing a, a game of chess, that's skill. That's not, that's not gambling, but it's not, that's not what it's about. And this, uh, uh, but the other thing that, uh, if you look at, at gambling laws, they're always very local. So uh, in the midst of the poker hype, um, some of these companies were fined, not because they have these paid poker matches. They were fined because they targeted a Dutch audience, for instance, uh, or a, a specific audience. And what's interesting, they got these fines from uh, Dutch regulators, and uh, the Dutch regulators were not able to collect those fines. 
And that sounds like decentralization to me. I like that. I like that a lot. And um, I can imagine that if you have a, um, a few small anonymous video game designers that come up with a great idea, actually build it and uh, release it for GitHub or for your own servers, um, that's awesome. That's going to work. And uh, regulators can regulate what they like, but they cannot um, They cannot enforce these laws. I mean, people are going to install on their computers what they want. Uh, that's what we see with Bitcoin. And I like it because that's, that's this is the Bitcoin spirit. I mean, nobody's going to tell you what you can or can't do. If you want to spend your money, you spend your money. It's your money, your coins, your keys, uh, your video games. I like that. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, Vlad, uh, we're, we're getting here toward the, the end of the show. Do you have any more thoughts on the video game stuff? Or uh, do you have your conclusionary remarks, anything you wanted to bring up that hasn't been talked about? Yeah, I think Satoshi's Games is another nice website where you can actually earn Satoshi's as you play. And if you beat, for example, a few levels of Super Mario Brothers, it's actually stylized to not look like Super Mario Brothers, but it's a clone of that game. You earn some Satoshi's, and I think I made like 50k Satoshi's just playing that over the summer when I was bored. So it's interesting what's happening with video games on Lightning. But in regards to Donor Labs and their first-person shooter, I can think of a way of destroying the company. If I am from the video games industry and I don't want them to gain traction, I'm going to send like half a Bitcoin to a child and tell him to just go on and play for the first time and lose everything and then pay his parents to start a lawsuit against the company and say, oh, look at what my child has done he has lost everything and this is gambling and there was no way to check whether or not children can sign up to this game and it's going to go to hell just from <laughs> this kind of lawsuit wow man you just <laughs> you gave a sad scenario there but i unfortunately in today's world it's like a re realistic one hopefully it does not happen please that's uh that, that that's a, that's a downer right there but hey you're, you're being a realist. Uh, okay. Uh, so let's, uh, uh, Boris, any other thoughts on this? No, I, I, I'm not afraid of the, the regulation because, to be honest, this is this is a toothless monster. I mean, it's it's just bureaucracy. It takes ages. I mean, look what's going on with all the altcoins and the ICOs. I mean, all these people are going to get sued. And they're going to get uh, regulated, and it's going to take another ten years to 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 we to get through the weed of 2017. So uh, once they have their uh, wrapped their head around video games, I mean, I'm gonna I'm not even gonna be around for that probably <laughs> hey so i say keep on innovating people keep on creating these businesses the more of these disruptive businesses out there they don't have enough regulators to put the smack down maybe they'll just throw up their hands eventually and say just do what you're going to do people uh hey ken bozak sent two dollars in the super chat yes ken bozak yeah what happened was i i got a note from him he had thanksgiving and he got food poisoning and he, he got sick he got real sick and he just woke up. So thank you, Ken, for supporting the show and, and giving it your all. And it, yeah, I don't know what you ate. The turkey was a little dirty in Philadelphia. I, I, I don't know what happened. But I'm glad you, you, you try your best. And you're here in the chat, at least. I know you're un, unpresentable right now. So get feel better soon. Ken Bozak fans, he will come to the show next week, the week after. We will set something up. 
uh, feel better soon. And guys, that's why you got to value your wealth in Bitcoin. Don't value it in uh, Thanksgiving meals. You might get food poisoning. Bitcoin doesn't give you food poisoning. Pound that like button. All right, Vlad, your conclusionary thoughts. Anything you wanted to add to the show? Any? Uh, your he's linked to below. But any anything? You've got that Happy Thanksgiving article out, or what? I'm thankful for article in Bitcoin. That's pretty good. Yeah, thank you. It also got published on Nasdaq, which was huge, if you ask me. Dude, yeah, mainstreaming it, baby. I get. I guess you'll get some uh, feedback about that soon from from all over. Uh, once people get back to work and they're on the internet again, they can email you and stuff. So, uh, any, any, any else that you want to conclude with here? Any other stories? Can I show my podcast? <laughs> yeah, please. Of course. Just talk about anything. Okay. I think there are lots of podcasts in this space and I don't think mine is any special. If you listen to the first three seasons, I mean, it has its highlights with guests, but anyway, with this fourth season, I'm basically interviewing hardware wallet makers and breakers in the sense that I get manufacturers to talk about their product and explain why it's very good and why people should buy it. But at the same time, get them to that point of honesty where they have to say something nice about their competition and explain why, for example, somebody from Ledger is going to say that cold card is more cypherpunk or something like that. And I have released the first episode, which is an interview with a shapeshift executive. And it's about the Keep Key Hardware Wallet, which is possibly the oldest of the big ones right now on the market. I think Trezor has upgraded their devices and Ledger has moved on. But the Keep Key has been around for three plus years and has been the same. And it used to cost around $200. Now it's about 30 or something. It's marketed by Shapeshift as a way of onboarding their platform. So I guess it moved on from its in its initial scope. But I, I got that interview done and I think I'm going to get somebody from Shift Crypto next, which is the company which does the Bitbox, yeah. an up and coming hardware wallet, which takes the best of both worlds from Trezor and from Ledger and creates a device which has very nice features and even allows you to connect to your full node, which is something I appreciate. So ju just in case you don't know, I, I have written a three-part review of hardware wallets on Bitcoin Magazine. I spent a lot of time doing that and I came to the conclusion that when I saw the feedback and how har hardware wallet companies were unhappy that I misrepresented them or possibly I did not understand the purpose of a feature that they have, I just said, why don't we just do a podcast and you get to roast me and say whatever you think I got wrong. But at the same time, you also answer some hard questions about your product and what it should be and how secure it actually is. And I guess the second part of the podcast is going to be about the hackers and the people who get bounties from hardware wallet manufacturers just to find issues. And I have managed to convince somebody who is called Lazy Ninja. So Lazy Ninja, that's the Twitter name. And he has found vulnerabilities in the Trezor and then the cold card and they were fixed. So it was all ethical and disclosed on time for them to fix it before he revealed that he found them. And he said that by the time we do the podcast in a couple of weeks, he will have revealed something new about another device. So 
I'm excited to find out where this leads. And I think that we live in the golden age of hardware wallets because we're still not sure which one is the standard and which one is the most secure. We're learning on in the whole process as we go. We don't know if one design is ideal and if the secure element from the ledger is a good idea. But there's a lot of experimentation, there's a lot of hacking, and in the end, as long as we find issues and we fix them, everybody wins. Wait, now you just said he's going to reveal, is he going to reveal the issue on your show or is he going to do it before your show? Oh, it's not going to be on my show, so I'm not that privileged. Okay. He will reveal it in a blog post on his personal website. And, and he will, I think he's already working with the company that produces the hardware wallet in which he found the vulnerability. Okay. But anyway, the name of my podcast is The Bitcoin Takeover. It's available on iTunes and Spotify and I think Google Podcasts too. And I also have a website, but whatever. Just no, say the website and, and his Twitter is linked to below. It's all on your Twitter also. I mean, it's on that profile, this information, isn't it? Uh, they yeah. can click. Okay. It's easy to find. Yeah. But what's, what's your website? So it's Bitcoin takeover, but okay. what's the name of it? A dash or with a small line. What do you call that in English? A dash. I'm lost for words. Underscore. Yeah. Okay. But not underscore. The other dash. one, which is a dash. It's a dash, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's Bitcoin dash takeover.com. Okay. It's on my Twitter profile. Yeah. Yeah, check that out, people. It is it is linked to below. And that is uh, interesting that some, this ethical hacker guy is going to come. Soon we're going to read some st stories about another vulnerability that was found in some wallet somewhere, but it's going to be taken care of. So, but hey, that, that, there's a little sneak peek, insider information. We're going to, uh, some, some news story is going to come out soon about this. Very, very good. All right. Boris, you got to plug your uh, your video too, of course. Yeah, it's man. Different language, different language stuff, but that's it, good stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I have a uh, I have a new podcast. It's called the Bitcoin Show. It's uh, I do it together with Aaron van Weerum and Jan Willem Burgers, uh, old school Bitcoiners, and uh, we talk a lot of crap, but we also have a lot of fun and uh, we talk a lot of Bitcoin. Actually, only Bitcoin, no price, no stuff like that. Just just real Bitcoin talk. Um, there's one small issue you have to speak or at least understand dutch to uh, to to understand any of it uh but we have a lot of fun we have a lot of uh um, large dutch speaking bitcoiners in the community that we feature on our show we had a plan b in our studio uh, we have uh whale pen that was in our studio and uh, there's lots more coming up and uh yeah we, we just have a lot of fun we talk bitcoin and uh, uh, and it's great and besides that i want to wish all uh everybody a, a, a wonderful weekend especially uh, all the american listeners viewers uh, who have thanksgiving weekend and uh, enjoy and uh yeah Great all day. right all right very cool I, I just want to point out that there are so many people in the bitcoin community that are dutch speakers you just don't know it because they they all know english also and they just participate on the english side but it's really cool you've given them the option to 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 do it in the in the native language there i see my youtube numbers it, it, it's it's clear there's a lot of dutch speakers that are just are watching me because they know that they, they know english but hey now it the more languages the better put 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 it out there so uh i 
I would I would watch it, but I wouldn't understand a word you dudes are saying. But I have retweeted you guys, and awesome. I, I I love the I love to promote you guys because I I do know there are Dutch speakers that that they will enjoy. So okay, guys, that these guys are in motion. They're doing their thing out there. Good luck to them. Uh, I hope everyone's having a good weekend where, wherever you are and that you enjoy the live show. We are here every Friday this week at Bitcoin. We're going to be live every Friday if everything keeps going well. Again, I'm glad to be live again. Thank to, thanks to Jitsi. Uh, no thanks to YouTube. But hey, we roll with the punches here, baby. YouTube throws up some obstacles. I figure out a way to go live again. So that's being in motion, people. Okay. Remember, new show here every day on uh, disruptmeister.com. That's my website. Follow me on Twitter at TechBall, T-E-C-H-B-L-A-L-T. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, Disrupt Meister. Remember, subscribe to the channel, like the video, share the video. Shabbat Shalom. We'll see you tomorrow, Saturday night show. Again, thanks a lot, guests. See you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, all.